You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to our listeners. All good on your end, Alex? Yes, I've actually had a very productive week so far, so um, it's been going very well for me. Good for you. Yeah. Excellent. Today's show is being taped. No opportunity for calling in. Um, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. And please email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have anything you'd like to uh, let us know about, any guests you'd like to have on the show, anything you'd like to chat about. We'd like to, we love to hear from you. And please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Alex, we've done a lot of talking, you know, through COVID about boosting your immune system and, and different ways to do it. And I found an article that... Um, taught me some things, actually. Um, we know that vitamin C, for, this is what I want to talk about, is vitamin C. And, and we know, you know, we've talked about vitamin C for immunity and um, the fact that, you know, it's, it's the go-to thing when we get a cold or sniffles, you know, that's been right. oranges, have your vitamin C, that's been something that, uh, you know, we go to. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I found an article, I just came across this article when I was trying to research some more about immunity, really open my eyes to what um, the role of vitamin C does do in our body. So just a few things. Um, We have talked a little bit, I think, on the show about vitamin C. But uh, first off, um, let it be said that we as humans don't produce vitamin C. So we have to obtain it through our diet or through supplementation. And it is a water-soluble nutrient, a vitamin. So we must continue to replenish it. So know that fat-soluble vitamins, they they can stick with us in our our fat cells. But water-soluble vitamins, when we have too much, will be uh, released from the body. So that's the difference. But so when it comes to vitamin C, we know um, it's been driven into us since kids. It's one of these common vitamins. Take vitamin C to boost your immune system, uh, to help with colds, whatever. But vitamin C, you know, it, it's a real soldier and it's gobbled up by our immune cells. It can help avert or shorten the duration of colds. It can lessen the symptoms of asthma, bronchitis, pneumonia, and very uh, helpful for lungs. Any respiratory infections, vitamin C can be helpful for. So 
you know, hearkening back to COVID and in our interview with Dr. Lee, he, he gave us knowledge of the fact that this really does hit the lungs hard. So if we can protect our lungs from, you know, as best we can, boosting up our lung health and our respiratory system as simply as taking vitamin C, this is one big step for us in uh, hopefully the prevention of, of getting COVID-19. But I wanted to take a look at uh, more of the detailed ways that vitamin C works within us to support our immunity. So vitamin C is important for the formation of collagen. That may not come as a surprise for many people. Very important for skin health. It's a vital protein needed for the structure of protective barriers in our body. So again, we defer oftentimes for vitamin C for skin health, but it also is very important for the linings of our respiratory and digestive tracts. And these linings are barriers for many things, including viruses and bacteria. So a very important role for vitamin C in the protecting of, of our lungs and our interiors, basically, from harmful substances. Vitamin C also functions as a cofactor for many enzymatic reactions, one as being wound healing. So I just wanted to, to point out one here. And specifically when we're talking about our immune system, vitamin C really aids in the proper function of our neutrophils. So neutrophils are immune cells and vitamin C helps them to get to infections and it also helps neutrophils to destroy harmful infectious microbes. So that was, that was a, a knowledge piece for me. And also vitamin C supports the growth of lymphocytes. So lymphocytes are part of our immune system and they include B cells, T cells, and natural killer cells. So yeah. These, that, are, these are very, very interesting points and a reminder that we should be obviously um, um, using or taking the vitamin C just to be a pro proactive and not so, yes. sort of reactive as, as we, as you alluded to Kathy, in terms of when, when we get sick, then we react and then we have the vitamins, vitamin C, but we should be doing it proactively. You're right. Exactly. And that's the reason that I, I wanted to talk about this because vitamin C is readily available to us in foods. So we can get a lot of vitamin C in foods, but we often try, and I do it myself. So this is not something that I'm, I'm not guilty of doing. We try and reach for these novel new supplements or, or, or different things that have come to the market that are new. Sometimes these things that are our old hat, we, we put aside. But as with anything, you know, we, we, I've talked to you about how healthy apples are, but they're common. And sometimes when we talk about common things, we tend to negate their uh, efficacy. So, right. I, you know, bringing mm -hmm. this to light, how important vitamin C is, and, and you can get it, as I said, with food, but even a, a simple multi can help boost your vitamin C. So in this period of I, time... I usually have it with uh, dissolved cap, uh, tablets and yeah. water and things like that. Very good. So. Yes. I get mine. I, you know, I try and, and eat, um, you know, a rounded diet, so I am getting mm -hmm. vitamin C, but I do take a multi as well to make sure that I'm getting enough. But it really 
helped me to circle back and, and, you know, fundamental fundamentals in in nutrition. And when we're looking for ways to protect ourselves during, you know, these uncertain times and, and, you know, we know that boosting our immune system is important uh, or strengthening our immune system is important. You know, you don't have to go, you know, to the novelty section in the health food store, you know, reach for some vitamin C, very important. And we're going to be talking, actually, with uh, our guest. She's going to be talking to us about uh, nutrition and the importance of nutrition. So hopefully that was uh, as interesting for you guys as it, as it was for me. Well, it, was, it was for me. Thank you, Kathy, for sharing. Excellent. So on to today's show. Our guest is a lovely woman. Her name is Dr. Uma Nadu, and she is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a professional chef, and nutrition specialist, so quite a quite a, a CV. Her niche work is in nutritional psychiatry, and she's regarded both nationally and internationally as a medical pioneer in this more newly recognized field. Featured in the Wall Street Journal, ABC News, Harvard Health Press, Goop, and many others, Dr. Uma has a special interest in the impact of food on mood and other mental health conditions. In her role as a clinical scientist, Dr. Nadu founded and directs the first hospital-based clinical service in nutritional psychiatry in the USA. She is the Director of Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and Director of Nutritional Psychiatry at the Massachusetts General Hospital Academy while serving on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Nidu graduated from the Harvard Long Longwood Psychiatry Residency Training Program in Boston, during which time she received several awards, including being the very first psychiatrist to be awarded the coveted Curtis Prout Scholar in Medical Education. Dr. Nidu has been asked by the American Psychiatric Association to author the first academic text in nutritional psychiatry. In addition to this, Dr. Nadu is the author of her new book entitled, This is Your Brain on Food, released on August 4th of this year, 2020. In her book, she shows the, how the cutting-edge science explaining the ways in which food contributes to our mental health and how a sound diet can help treat and prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health issues from ADHD to anxiety, depression, OCD, and other issues. Our learning points today include what is the role of nutrition in brain health, why is prevention key for healthy mental brain and for healthy brain, and how can we prepare children and parents for going back to school during COVID-19. A fascinating guest, a wonderful woman, and I, I really thank you that you will enjoy this interview. So we will be back to talk to Dr. Uma shortly. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, our show today is once again being taped, but please do reach out to us by email. We are at thh at radiomaria.ca and follow us on our social sites. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all spaces. Dr. Uma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Kathy. I am delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's just a pleasure. I've been, you know, reading up on the book, reading up on you, and and what a a well-rounded, delightful human you are. It's such a it's such a great great opportunity for me to talk to someone as outstanding as you. So it's all, all my uh, thank pleasure. You. I'm very touched by that. Thank you so much. I I appreciate that, Kathy. 
you know, we've had everyone, we've had a few conversations, uh, Dr. Uma and I, we've been trying to get this show together for a while. And in none of our conversations did it come up that she was a chef, a trained chef. So um, as I was, I was talking to Dr. Uma just before the show started, I didn't want to talk too much about it beforehand because I actually wanted to learn with you about how this all sort of came together for her. So a chef, that's wonderful. How did that ever come to be? <laughs> I think it goes back to uh, early life and being surrounded by a family that was always about food and love and nurturance and really tried to carry that forward when I moved away to study. Um, And also a sense of healthfulness, a lot of physicians in my family of origin and just an understanding of delicious but healthy food. So when I began residency, I began to incorporate this in how I was speaking to patients and um, there's a real gap in nutrition at medical school. Uh, People have even written about this. So it was something that I felt I had to learn up on. Um, But I also, as I moved away, uh, became acquainted with Julia Child. And she really became my food hero on television. And as I understood more about her life, uh, it gave me greater confidence as I was a a young cook, uh, so to speak, and trying trying out recipes on my own and trying to cook what my mom had cooked. Um, I also realized she had gone to culinary school later in life. And so when I finished residency, I began the search for if I could do it. Um, really to follow a passion for loving food and wanting to understand more about it and also the nutritional value and decided to take myself to culinary school uh, at that point and you know did it while I was working so it had to be a pretty stringent schedule there for a few years but I, 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 I look back uh, Kathy and I'm not quite sure how the hours fitted into a week <laughs> But I, I loved it. I really did. And um, it, it has grown to be very, very useful, even in my clinical practice without realizing it. It's it's amazing how our, we always make space for our passions, isn't it? You know, I think a lot of us who have gone to school, managed a career, managed a family, you look back and you go, I don't think I could do that again. And then you jump into the next venture. It's, it's so funny how that comes together. And, you know, How long have you been practicing in the psychiatry field? So I've been a a practicing psychiatrist for almost, for close to two decades now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I I felt that this this dialogue I've been having with individuals and clients around prescribing medications is how it started because I felt a certain responsibility just to understand what other things, other tools I could provide for them. because. My approach is uh, partly goes back to my Hindu roots, but you know it's very holistic. It's it's very much based in the whole person, the mind-body connection, um, the fact that we need to find an integrated functional approach to psychiatry, which looks at the root cause. And I think we're trying to do that. I certainly try hard to do that for the clients that I have. And, you know, nutrition is a huge component of that. But but when you advise people about nutrition, sometimes they need a recipe. So so that's where culinary school came in really handy mm-hmm. too. And you call, you don't call the people you work with patients, you call them clients. Um, it just depends. It, it, mm-hmm. They are some, some in the hospital patients, you know, just, it just depends on the setting. In the setting. Well, it's, you know, the, this, this lag, to be honest, this lag between, you, you know, training as a doctor, a physician, a psychiatrist, and the lack of nutrition education is actually probably where the space for my practice comes into being. And, um, you know, the nutrition is such an important piece, but 20 years ago, 
talking about nutrition where I imagine so much of your study had to be around medication. It must have been quite an interesting concept for some of your colleagues uh, when you started talking about this. You know, it's true. And I, I'm not sure that I was as verbal about it with my colleagues as much as I was really starting to hone in on the skills to study nutrition myself while working with patients um, and to decide that it was something I wanted to pursue. And you including that in a medical, especially a psychiatric evaluation. I think, I think in primary care and in other fields of medicine, people um, understand there's a connection between, you know, hypertension and how we should eat or cholesterol and how we should eat or diabetes. But really, there's not been attention paid to mental health. And my initial understanding was really, how do I understand that if someone needed a medication that they can eat healthier? But that also grew. And I, I have to agree with what you said, Kathy. I don't think it was mainstream, and I don't think it was something that other people were doing. Um, when I got to, uh, you know, found my own clinic, it was, as I have said to people, really putting uh, a really nice uh, label or, or description of what I've been doing for a much longer time and, and practicing those skills, but also honing in on a method that was most personalized to work with, um, with individuals around their nutrition and mental health. Well, I mean, now is the time to shine, right, for all of this. This is we're getting into the systemic issue of the body systems, and I think it's just been the last few years where we've had the um, the familiarity with mental health, the the more ease in conversation that we can now, we seem to be rolling into this place where we're finally integrating brain health with the rest of the body. You know, we're not separating above the shoulder and below the shoulder. And I think exactly. it's, um, you're coming into a time now where this is, you know, the, you're just hitting all the, 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 the places that need to be hit to help people. And, you know, we're going to talk a little so. bit later. Oh, it, it's, it's evident, you know, it's evident by what you're doing. It's evident by, you know, other professionals that I'm sure are in your circle that we now have to start a different approach because mental health is pervasive, isn't it? It is. It is incredibly pervasive. It is especially pervasive in these current times. Mm-hmm. With uh, We don't yet have the exact statistics of, of the changes in our pre-COVID statistics mm-hmm. uh, on mental health, but we know that um, certain things have happened. You know, there's a shortage in the United States of sertraline, which is Zoloft here. And um, there are increasing numbers of prescriptions for anxiety and depression, uh, antidepressant medications done in a survey um, by Express Scripts that I think was during April, which is still early. So if you can imagine that that prescriptions had increased by about 20% approximately. I, I can't imagine where things are at now. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is pervasive. And I think that individuals need more tools to, to find coping mechanisms. And my feeling is you, we all have to eat, you know, why not eat some good things for our brain on most days of the week, you know, have a treat day. But for, for the most part, if you can include brain healthy ingredients, um, why not protect your brain? And I think too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, we're now also getting into that place where we're talking about preventative mental health practices. Um, 
we, we've the last five, 10 years, maybe you can talk to that. Maybe it's longer. I just feel in, in who I've worked with and, and on experts in this space that I've talked to, like yourself, there is an ease of talking about those who have mental health issues, but I don't often hear the conversation about preventative mental health because honestly, you know, when we talk about times like we have now, you you don't prepare for this and it, right. you never know who can dip into that that place where the mental health is not as good as it should be so preventing exactly. is is a is a wonderful place for you to be and with with cooking and food i just think it's just it's just a perfect perfect storm for what you're doing in a perfect arena for you to talk about um, your connection with food and it's not just about handing out recipes is it no, no, it isn't. Uh, that, that's a fun part for me. But but I, I agree so much with what you said uh, as well, Kathy. And what I've noticed in my clinical practice, and even amongst family and friends, people who were not ordinarily struggling, um, who are, you know, getting along in life just fine, are really are, are struggling, you know, with either significant anxiety or not sleeping um, or feeling that their mood is blue. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much either job loss or, you know, having to homeschool or, you know, kids home from college, having to manage again. Of course, we love our families, but, you know, sort of manage uh, so much more responsibility in a confinement of not having as much freedom as we did. And I know, understand things are certainly opening up slowly, but people are still afraid mm-hmm. and, uh, and and they're struggling. You know, the, uh, mental health is uh, on the rise. I'm, I'm sorry to say, and I think that if the more tools we can provide people in a toolkit that adds to that prevention is really important because as I, you know, I always go back to, we have to eat, you know, we, mm-hmm. we should be eating. And in fact, if you're not eating, you really should be seeing me. Um, but, you know, um, these, these are things we can incorporate as part of what we're doing every day, like like we know that we should exercise a certain amount. Well, I think that you can eat for brain health, and, and that's really uh, the, the, the spirit of that preventative uh, component. We, you know, I think people are becoming more familiar with adrenal health and cortisol. You, you know, that's a common term now, you know, keep mm-hmm. our cortisol level down. But there's a huge connection with the adrenals and cortisol and the stress response. It starts yes. in the brain. Yes. And and I and I think that uh, you know let's let's talk about these connections and uh, I mean it's um, it's a small show so we certainly can't go into the all the physiology of the brain but I think if we can lay out some of the main pieces and show how food can impact these structures it will really present a clear picture to everybody about what the thrust of your message is so let's you know maybe we'll start with the because we're talking about stress the HPA axis and then you know gradually take us to that area of the brain that you think um, food really greatly impacts? Sure. You know, I think, I think the way that uh, for me, I, I speak to, um, I describe the stress response is that, yes, it, it's related to cortisol, it's related to the adrenals, it's related to the brain, but it's also very importantly related to the gut. And I think that, um, you know, I think it's chapter one that we start, I start talking in the book about what I call the gut-brain romance, because it really is almost a significant theme of another um, connection that we've started to make around how we eat and how this impacts the brain. Uh, So it's not that it's not 
not in the brain. It's the fact that what we eat um, impacts us also through the gut microbiome, which is so, which is so mostly unique to each human being, but also um, can be impacted on any given day in a positive or negative way. And, um, you know, things like the recommendations that we make, such as eating, you know, um, fresh vegetables and a certain number of servings of fruit, depending on the type of fruit and, you know, medical conditions, you know, is always a, a good way to go. But those things bring back fiber and fiber maintains your microbiome in a healthy balance to produce the good, um, the good uh, substances that need to drive better brain health. The way that the problem with, with, a, with being so stressed, as many people are, is it increases your cortisol and it disrupts your gut and it sets up inflammation. And the thing we want to avoid is gut inflammation, which then leads to um, a leaky gut or intestinal permeability, which then leads to a whole host of both medical and mental health problems. And the thing that, the reason, the reason this is important, Kathy, is because Serotonin, we know to be our happiness hormone. People know it, they understand that those who are prescribed a medication may be taking an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, such as Prozac or Zoloft, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but more than 90% of our serotonin receptors are located in the gut. So right there, you see that you know the, when you are stressed and when your gut is disrupted, your serotonin receptors get impacted, your level of stress and anxiety raise, um, and you could also feel depressed. So it's, it's this, you know, I, th I think it's a, a helpful, helpful way to understand that this is what is going on. And, you know, what I try to talk to people is, about is, is, is where, do you, where do you start? First, firstly, we have to identify what the cause is, and then we have to start to work to correct it. And, you know, there's certain foods that might help stress that, um, that we've looked at. So, so you know, I, I think that if we could just figure out ways to either in a preventive way or in an ongoing way to take care of our mental health, like we're taking care of our physical health, um, my, my answer to that is why not? Uh, we can't get away from the gut when it comes to any type of health. Um, exactly. I, I think the current research that's, that's uh, filtering through about um, how the structure of the brain isn't that airtight vault that was thought of, you know, maybe 30 years ago. We can see how the gut um, and a gut that's not pristine can impact mental health. Now, um, before we slip off to a break, because I want to get into the food part, because that's mm -hmm. your wheelhouse. Are you recommending individually to your clients and patients? Are you sitting down with them, looking at their diet, increasing one area or other macronutrient, or is it an overall approach to nutrition that you're taking? So I think that from, from when I started um, and created more of a, an overall approach, and I th that still does exist, there's some basic principles that I like my, uh, my patients, my clients, um, that I like people in general to follow if, 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 if they feel that it's helpful to them. But what I've understood, again, going back to uh, microbiome research and you know, a paper that was published in the last few years that really looked at the personalization of our guts. And therefore, you know, it's almost like it, you have to think about it in a more personalized way. So what I've done, Kathy, is I have some general guiding principles, but then 
those things need to be tweaked for each person, what they respond to, food intolerances, food allergies, what, what they, you know, symptoms that they feel when they eat. So we try to then break it down for, for a person in that way. Now, are you doing this personally or do you have a nutritionist that's working hand in hand with you? Because this is very involved. Um, it is very involved. And so, um, I, I, so I've been, I've been doing it, uh, you know, I, 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 I have a background in nutrition as well. So I've been using that. I think it would be wonderful to build this out into a much bigger um, team approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be my dream. But really, when I had the opportunity to start this clinic at Mass General, it was based on support from my department, uh, that my chair, and my, and my mentors. But, you know, there weren't, there weren't 15 people that we could hire. I'd love to. But mm-hmm. it, it, so, so part of it was using my skill set to really create this for people. Now, would you do anything like a microbiome testing um, to have that in place when you are approaching a diet plan? It, it depends. It depends again on the person what and what they present with. I, you know, I think that certain um, tests are helpful, and I think that also it goes back to some really basic principles, such as. I'm sure what you do as well, Kathy, which is, you know, really understanding someone's history. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of that. I was treating an executive who present, was sent to me by um, her gastroenterologist with new onset panic and anxiety and very concerned, felt that, you know, she needed an immediate evaluation for medications. But as we unpacked it, over 18 months to two years, her diet had changed due to this amazing promotion. She was doing very well at work, got this amazing promotion. But for most days of the week, she was traveling in an airport, eating processed food or junk food on the run because she wasn't home and had had unintentionally really disrupted her gut over that period of time and presented with a mental health symptom. But when you sat with her and asked her the history, she actually had significant gastrointestinal distress from the inflammation in her gut. Wow, it's it's two two totally different paths you're going down. You certainly uh, have a bunch of hats you're juggling. Um, we're going to go and take a quick break, and we're going to come back and continue our conversation with Dr. Uma. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great conversation here with Dr. Uma Naidu, and we're going to continue on because there's just so much actionable things that uh, she has to offer us. And, you know, especially, Dr. Uma, we're going through this, this stressful time, um, and, and we're talking about prevention. So let's lay the groundwork for prevention in the mental health space and foods. And even if you can, I know that um, your knowledge goes deep and wide, but just, you know, maybe explain to us, you know, why this particular food is, is important for, say, a neurotransmitter or just so people get a sense of how the connection goes. Sure. So, so there are some, um, like we mentioned earlier, some broad-based principles, but let me, you know, hone in on a few specifics. Um, you know, when, when it comes to stress and anxiety and um, some of the foods in the book, as we describe, uh, as you're going through the book, well, you know, there are some overlaps and that's because uh, there are certain pathways that, that those foods will, will impact in terms of, say, depression and anxiety uh, or, say, PTSD. 
Um, but some, some guiding principles around anxiety are really eating foods that are rich in omega-3s. And the omega-3s in fatty fish are quite significantly helpful. Um, people often associate these with symptoms of how to help depression or a supplement. But it turns out that it also helps anxiety and human studies have shown that. So including um, omega-3 sources in your food are going to help you. Um, you know, there are also uh, people who don't eat seafood. It's, it's less available to your brain, but it's still, uh, uh, still possible to get omega-3s through certain types of seeds, you know, flax seeds, chia seeds, um, and things like that, that, and a few others that will still get you some omega-3s there. And then it's um, the, the spice turmeric, has come up a lot and, and you will see it in the book as well in a few different chapters. Turmeric is, is a, people have understood, especially over the last several years, that it's a, it's a, it's a super spice in terms of healthfulness. And where it is important in depression and anxiety is that the active ingredient curcumin in turmeric in fact, has been shown in studies to improve anxiety. Um, the caveat is that you always want to add a pinch of black pepper to make the curcumin more available and better absorbed. So that's an important tip right there that, you know, I say to people, if you don't cook with turmeric for whatever reason, um, you know, you can add a little bit, a quarter teaspoon with a pinch of black pepper to a smoothie or to a soup. Um, and if you do cook with it, you know, you, you certainly can incorporate that more regularly. Um, and then, you know, the, the other things uh, include vitamin D foods, but, but what I also like to tell people are the things they should avoid and, and why they should avoid them. Um, you know, things like highly sugared foods, uh, it, it, when you're taking in added sugars through what you eat, those are not good for your brain. Um, processed vegetable oils do not help your brain function. Um, they lead to inflammation. They, they, they set up uh, uh, processes in your brain which impact your neurotransmitters and do not help you feel emotionally sound or feel emotionally better. Um, in anxiety, also, uh, it's been, uh, we've studied the fact and shown that um, uh, some, of the, some of our review has shown that um, emitting gluten from a person's diet actually can reduce the anxiety. So this is not necessarily a person who has celiac disease or glucose intolerance. Uh, I'm sorry, gluten intolerance, but avoiding gluten can actually help the anxiety. And the, the last one that I like people to know about is artificial sweeteners because, there's, because for the most part, they're not helpful, um, except, except a few that, that have slightly healthier profiles. So, so I feel that people you know, should be given tools as to the things they should embrace and the things they should avoid. And that's really how we try to describe it in the book. And those are just some of the recommendations for stress and anxiety, not all, not all of them. Now, are you, do you recommend a particular diet? So there are a few diets uh, that are, you know, have been noted for brain health, like the ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. Are you a proponent of specific diets or do you like to approach it from uh, incorporating the vast amount of nutrients in a, in a spectrum? Um, so probably more the latter, Kathy. Uh, uh, it's not because I'm against any particular diet. It, it's uh, largely because in psychiatry, part of my training has been um, really to meet someone where they're at. So if someone comes in and, say, and says to me, I only eat steak, I've got to figure out a way 
to help them with, you know, incorporating other other foods that could uh, improve aspects of their mental health. If someone comes in and says, you know, I'm vegan, um, again, I've got to figure out ways that my nutritional psychiatry lens can help them. And so it's really, for me, not about a certain diet, but again, it's about meeting the person with what they come in the room and also then taking that as a almost a jumping off point towards improving their mental health. Um, the, you know, the, the keto, there are some studies in, on the ketogenic diet. There are, you know, there's several studies that have shown the Mediterranean eating, Mediterranean diet to be helpful for, for, uh, for both depression and anxiety. Um, so those are some good, good principles. Um, and, uh, you know, if someone says to me, I'm, I'm eating a ketogenic diet, for example, there are some very new animal studies that have shown a ketogenic diet to help anxiety. Um, so who knows? I mean, this could be useful, but we just, sometimes we just need ongoing studies and evidence to, to, to make sure we can replicate that. Um, so I try to have a broad-minded approach and I try to work with an individual, um, with whatever, you know, they're coming with whatever diet they, they might be following and how can we tweak that for their better brain health. When someone comes to see you, is this the cornerstone of your consultation? Um, is this how you have evolved your practice? You start with nutrition? Or is there, any t- like, is there a lot of talk therapy that's going on as well? So, you know, in, in psychiatry, uh, we are trained uh, in psychotherapy as well as in medication management. So that's just a natural part of what I do. But the way that my nutritional psychiatry clinic and practice has evolved, um, I also have a small private practice. Um, the, the way that it's evolved is that I do, I, I still have to understand someone's psychiatric history. And to do that, I still go to grassroots, you know, I still need to know their medical history. Um, you know, the whole thing is that it can't be siloed because all of, we're all in the same, we're in one body. So we have to understand what the organ systems are doing. And then once I've gotten some basic groundwork information um, and uh, understood that, you know, we go into specifics around uh, symptoms and, you know, f- and, and dietary patterns and, you know, some, and some of the information, depending on the situation, Kathy, some people, you know, complete some information for me before they uh, come to the consultation um, so that we have some background information as well. Now, are you or is it a target of your practice to, obviously you've mentioned that medication is a part of your practice. Are you able to have success where you can change the nutrition piece of one of your uh, patients or clients and get them off medication? Is that um, an avenue for nutrition as well? Um, it can be. Uh, it's not, you know, as I as I've sort of shared in the book, the nutritional psychiatry is not prescriptive, but it is something that everyone can use, whether they take medications or not. So it depends entirely on the situation. Um, if someone is prescribing medications for a patient, I wouldn't necessarily do it without, of course, consulting with that physician and finding out where they think um, where, where they think we can go with something. But some individuals have been able to lower their medications, not just psychiatric, um, but some of them have been able to lower their medications if it's their goal. I think that also goes back to the, the extent of illness they had. Someone who has been suicidal, hospitalized, had a manic episode, has experienced psychosis, it would be a much more cautious um, 
road to just taking them off medication. So you, you would do it in a, in a careful and calculated way. And food can always be um, a, a line of defense that an individual uses. And what I mean by that, if someone is presenting with acute suicidal ideation, food is not necessarily the first line of defense, but it can be one of the things that their physician does in terms of helping them. Right. So, um, you know, I, I try to describe it to people in that way. Now, I'm imagining, I could be wrong, but nutrition, I mean, there are many noted side effects of a psychiatric medication. Yes. Can nutrition be used to help mitigate those side effects as well? Can this be another avenue for nutrition therapy? Um, I think that it can be an avenue of nutrition therapy for for what we know so far and where the research has has led us to understand that you know right now it 's been mitigating side effects um, it 's been you know helping people understand that the initial phase of using an SSRI will be gastrointestinal side effects because the receptors are on the gut mm-hmm. um, and then it 's you know if someone should gain weight and when do they gain weight or have they already gained weight and is that one of the reasons they 're coming in? Um, one of the things we want to absolutely work against is anyone developing metabolic syndrome. So mm-hmm. having them understand, um, you know, at the outset, the tools that they can use to eat and embrace a healthier diet is often very useful. Sometimes if someone's coming to me just for nutritional psychiatry consultation and has been on a medication a short time, that's often a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And it gives them a controlling factor in their own health. I'm a big exactly. proponent of that. Um, Now, getting back to prevention, um, and we're seeing now more and more younger adults and children coming into this area of mental health care. How important is it to set up our children for health in the mental space? And how can we start doing that? Absolutely. Um, You know, Dr. Eamon has been doing, Dr. Daniel Eamon has been doing um, some work as well. Well, his, his career has been amazing, but some of his work has been around looking at the data um, of the impact of glucose on the brain and um, really whether it just affects adults only or children as well. And I think that, uh, and by glucose, I mean, you know, highly sugared foods is how, how children would be taking these in. The, the point being that I think it, we have to start young. Um, the epidemic of obesity, certainly in the United States, is something we're all concerned about. And we ha- if we don't employ some healthy habits early on, then um, kids get used to highly sugared foods, um, highly sugared cereals, highly fruited yogurts, which have a ton of added sugar in them, um, versus a plain yogurt, which has some healthy probiotics in them and adding berries or cinnamon to it, which is an easy fix to that. But if a child knows a cereal, then that's what they are used to. Um, so I think that it really does uh, really does start young. Uh, some might argue that you know it starts uh, in, in utero because the, the mother's microbiome affects uh, affects directly the birth affects the child as they are born, um, you know. So I think there are many different ways to look at it. But I think I think when children are fed uh, a healthy diet from early on, that can only hold them in uh, uh, in, in in a good preventive way for their mental health. And the reward system for children has often been these sugary foods. And um, we have to, I guess, get out of that 
get out of that way of thought and that's that's educating the parents and and I think again when we can approach it and take a look at mental health and a preventative aspect it opens up the avenue so much the kids kids and parents are going to be and and sometimes I think part of the issue is we don't appreciate how young children can feel stressed yes Um, I totally agree with that oh for instance I a personal um when I got cancer. I have four children and each one of them Mm. reacted completely differently, but there was a pronounced reaction. And my youngest was nine, I think at the time. Mm. So children feel stress. Um, They do. Uh, Yes. It's important for us to understand that. And, you know, maybe what we could really do to help people out now when we're talking about children, we're talking about the, the present situation, something that none of us have ever dealt with. Children may be going back to school, um, you know, within the, the next few months. How can we prepare ourselves as parents and children with nutrition mm-hmm. to at least help in handling that? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question. And I think that, you know, um, I've also had people say to me that this, that the pandemic and and having to be, um, you know, at home has had, had them develop. And let let me be the first to say that I think everyone has struggled at some point during this phase. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But there are also people who have struggled initially, but then found a way through it by, for example, a patient of mine was talking about the fact that she was at home and, you know, forced to prepare something for her family, meaning that, that ordinarily everyone would have a packed lunch or the schools would have lunch, um, the kids would have lunch at school. Her husband had a cafeteria at work, but she was in the situation. And it really pushed her to start to cook and um, prepare healthier foods. And she noticed the difference in how her family was feeling. Um, she felt healthier herself. Uh, she lost some weight. She started to eat more salads. She appreciated the fact that when she was doing it herself, she was she was controlling what into that what went into the food versus um, even a protein bar that she might have been giving giving her kids or, or a snack that she might have been giving them, and it, it it led her to really make some significant changes. And I think the way that we can use that to propel ourselves forward is perhaps this is a way to to reset. Um, I, and and I, I should just preface this by saying it's very easy easy for, for me to, 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 to make all of these recommendations. I understand it's not easy to implement these things. Um, and I, I, I understand that. And I also do think that the science tells us that you can start to change your microbiome within a day. So mm-hmm. within a day, you can uh, uh, change it positively or you can change it negatively. You won't feel that impact immediately, but it's longer term. So if you think about it that way and you think about the next time you put in processed foods and you know highly sugared foods into your body and or, or the wrong types of fat, you know, it's it, one way to think about it is you can you can do that or you can start to make at least one healthy tweak um, as you prepare to move forward. So some some simple things would be, you know, that instead of and I, I know this is hard, um, instead of relying on, you know, store-bought um, snack foods that go into lunch boxes, you know, think about a simple, easy recipe that can be done with a few ingredients at home for a little protein snack that can be made or something that's kid-friendly, but you know the healthy ingredients that are going into that, but still make it tasty and still make it appealing for 
uh, for your child. I, I think that's one way to go emitting, you know, fruit juices and soda and just, you know, bringing back little, little bottles of water, you know, mm-hmm. or getting them little, their own little, um, a glass or some something that's practical that that they can they can be drinking more water rather than soda and thinking about um, introducing them slowly to um, newer foods in a fun way is is one way to start thinking about it it's it's a way to start the conversation and as I say none of these things happen overnight or are easy but it's a time when we really can start doing that and we can use the kids in the kitchen too. I mean, I think yes. having the kitchen, the kids as part of the process and, and explaining, you know, I've, That's I've come point. to learn yeah, and I've come to learn from raising my own kids. If I could go back and do it again, I think I would give them far more credit than I did. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that children are wise beyond what, and I can't speak for everybody, but they're wise beyond what I thought. And that's the wisdom of raising them and, and going back. But having the kids involved in the, in the process, they're under stress, you're under stress and let's make it easy. Um, I I think it's a, it's a great thing that you're doing. I think that introducing, well, obviously, because this is the, what I do, uh, I think introducing food as a key component of health and especially in your case, mental health is, this is the next stage. This is the next piece. Um, And congratulations. Now your new book is called, your brain, this is your brain on food. It's going to be released August the 4th. So by the time this is aired, the book will have been released. Um, where can we get this book? Um, th- uh, thanks for asking, Kathy. So it's available at all major online uh, retailers. And uh, you could also just go to my book site, which is w- where we are linked to all the online resellers. Uh, um, so that's book dot umanaidumd.com and if you uh, go to the landing page it has you link to whether it's amazon or barnes and noble or whichever your um, store you have closest to you that can ship it to you and it releases in canada on august 4th as well as the u.s Wonderful. Well, congratulations. I'm always so in awe of someone who can write a, a book like this. So wonderful. Uh, everyone, you, take a look at this book. Do take your time to go through this wonderful uh, piece. It's, it's applicable to all of us. Um, Dr. Uma, thank you so much for being on the show. I really value uh, the information that you've given all of us and appreciate the time you've taken to be with us. Thank you, Kathy. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I really appreciate your valuable insights, too. Thank you. And everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.